Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Billboard Chart Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. Live from our Times Square offices here in New York. Uh, it's going to be even uh, busier, I guess, here in Times Square. Uh, just in the last well, couple weeks or so, news of a new three-floor McDonald's and a new Krispy Kreme coming to Times Square. Okay, because here's my thing about the Krispy Kreme. Because... There is one Krispy Kreme in Manhattan, as people know. It is located in Pennsylvania Station, 34th Street. And the the funny thing about that is Krispy Kreme is notorious for their hot donuts. But you can't get a hot donut at the Krispy Kreme location in Penn Station. Like, they just, I guess, ship them in or whatever. Huh. Like, they, I guess they can't make them on site, so you can't get a hot one. So maybe you can get a – can you get a hot Krispy Kreme in Times Square soon? Because I'm telling you – I mean, I'm not even like that big on Krispy Kreme, but it's like if you get those hot Krispy Kreme, baby, that's good. I'm seeing it'll have stadium style seats and a glazed waterfall. Th- see this? I hate capitalism. A glazed water. <laughs> you know how much energy it's gonna waste to make a glaze? Like somebody's gonna drown in that. Someone's gonna try and like just like tilt their head back and like just drink the waterfall. That waterfall gonna be nasty. Why would you do that? Just give us the hots. It's like a like a Willy Wonka come to life kind of a thing. Maybe. Uh, really excited to have Howard Jones coming up on the podcast. Had all these great uh, 80s hits. Brand new album out called Transform. Uh, I've been a fan of his music for over uh, over 30 years now. So uh, he's coming in to uh, talk about his biggest hits and his brand new music. So uh, real positive uh, lyrics that he's uh, kind of always been known for and, and just great pop hooks uh, in the 80s and beyond. So uh no songs necessarily about McDonald's and Krispy Kreme, but... Okay, well, that's coming up. But before we can talk about the past, let's talk about the present. Here's what's going down this week. The top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Oh, sweet, but a cycle, a little bit psycho. Number nine. Look what you made me do. I'm somebody. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Look what you made me do. I'm somebody new. Ooh, baby, baby, I'm dancing with a stranger. Number eight. Huh? Packing the mail, it's gone. Uh, she like I smell cologne. Yeah. I just signed a deal, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I go where I want, good, good. Play if you want, let's do it. Huh. I'm a young CEO, sure. Yeah, yeah. Number yeah. seven. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by you. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. Number six. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Your grandma will probably know me. Get my bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got I'm saying why. Number five. I'm a sucker for all this subliminal things. No one knows about you.
for you. Yeah. Number four. Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby, yeah. Number three. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're going before we get Number two. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. Duh. And number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna Okay, and once again in first place, you know that's called a win in in horse terms. We got the one, the only, the only song there's ever been on the Billboard Hot 100, "Old Town Road," holding strong ten weeks at number one. You all know it, love it. Um, we talked, I mean, of course ad nauseum about this song but this week we got a little little something new to add to it because 10 weeks is officially two digits when you write it down so old town road making its way into an elite group of songs that have had at least 10 weeks at number one this track is now the 38th to do so going all the way back to 1958 when the hot 100 started so a really small group of songs obviously a lot of them have come you know in the very recent past um just as we've flipped over with some technology with nielsen but um yeah the longest we've had number one since drake's in my feelings last year which also had 10 weeks at number one powered by the shiggy challenge soul town road joining that pack and i guess as we hit that double digit mark we got to turn our attention to if it can get to that all-time record 10 weeks down only six to go so more than halfway there 16 weeks the longest any song has spent number one on the billboard hot 100 that record is held by two songs First song to do that was a song called One Sweet Day, Mariah Carey and Boys to Men in late 95, early 96. And a couple years ago, at long last, there was another song that made it all the way. That was Despacito, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber back in the summer of 2017. Yeah, the conversation, can it hit uh, magic 16 weeks and, and tie or then break the record? Uh, way to maybe uh, dig into that and, and uh, by the numbers, maybe uh, see how uh, much of a possibility that is, is to look at uh, the lead currently that uh, Old Town Road has over number two and see where Despacito was uh, in its 10th week. Uh, so currently Old Town Road has an almost three to one points lead over uh, her Billie Eilish at number two with Bad Guy, uh, 2.8 to one. So almost a three to one points lead. That's, uh, I guess if it's Old Town Road, we should say how many lengths ahead of number two. You, you like that? Last week I brought that up. Gary yeah. seemed impressed by it. Uh, so uh, three to one points lead. Uh, airplay is uh, still gaining for Old Town Road. So it really doesn't seem like it's uh, about to fall apart yet. If we look back at Despacito in its 10th week, and again, it had six weeks left uh, of being number one, it had an almost two-to-one points lead over, it was Wild Thoughts at the time, but never got to number one. We don't know if Bad Guy will get to number one. So uh, two-to-one points lead in the 10th week for Despacito over number two, three-to-one for Old Town Road. So uh, if you're just going by those numbers, it would seem, yeah, it's got it. But again, anything can happen in any given week. And uh, if it's not bad guy, the ghost of number one, I feel like uh, we just got the news. We don't even know if it's officially news yet, but I feel like at this point I'm banking on the, if it exists or not, the new Katy Perry, Taylor Swift single together. Uh, I feel like that could have enough buzz to, to maybe uh, be a number one debut if if such a song even exists. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's the real question. And it feels like it's going to need to be Something's going to have to get a big jolt. It's going to have to be a brand new song from somebody. Um, I mean, Katie, Katie Taylor will be an interesting choice because we've seen um, a lot of a lot of songs, pop songs, particularly in the past couple of weeks, um, get to number two. You know, whether it's it's a huge jump or a debut, Taylor herself got to number two with me. Um, we'll, actually talk, we'll actually talk about Katy Perry's new song in just a little bit. Um, but I, I wonder if if that's 
I don't know if that if that even at this point. I mean, I'm sure there'll be more interest around that song, of course, with the drama and you know yeah. the backstory about all of that. But I don't know. Even even some of these pop narratives that just haven't really been able to do it. And I don't know. I mean, at this point, people I know are like flipping down the little guess who board of who can do it with with, with Ed not being not being able to, and and Shawn Mendes and Taylor. I know Rihanna and Adele are still sort of the the big wild cards out there, but who really knows if they have anything planned? Maybe if Drake drops a song after the Raptors win this NBA Finals, maybe that. Did you say when or if? Uh, at this point, it's, we're, at this point, while um, for the record, this is after Game Five, so we're 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 talking three two. I'm going to say when. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say when. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what else can do it. Bad guy, of course, is still on its way up, but just doesn't seem like it's going up quickly enough to where it's going to hit these sort of stratospheric heights. And you know, I mean, if Old Town Road does do it, how interesting that you know you had you have sort of a long established acts, Mariah and Boyz II Men, who who were in the prime of their careers in the '90s at the time they did it. Justin Bieber really wrapping up what had been almost a two year sort of omnipresent pop dominance. And then you'll just have sort of this, you know, I mean, literally dark horse candidate that came out of nowhere, surged to the top of the chart and held it down for four or more months. Dark horse, Katy Perry, Old Town Road, you just wrapped it all up. That's I, I tried to pull a page out of the trust book. Uh, hopefully the manual did me did me right. Guess it's never really over. Just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over. And if it get over, maybe you'll be coming over again. And I'll stick it up for you all over again. All right, so speaking of Katy Perry, she's also back on the Hot 100 this week with a new song, Never Really Over, debuts at number 15. Solid start on streaming, pulling uh, just under 16 million streams in its first week. Pop Radio in particular really getting behind this song. Uh, Second week on the Pop Songs Airplay Chart, which measures top 40 activity up to number 21. So just about breaking the top half of that chart. And, you know, Kemi Katie for a lot of people I think has been... You know, they weren't sure what to expect um, in terms of both the sound and in terms of the reception. Uh, Witness, of course, was not, you know, her best performing album. And the singles really didn't take off in any in any way that we'd come to expect Katy Perry projects to do in the 2010s. So I think a lot of people were wondering, kind of the same time where we had question marks about Gaga and Justin Timberlake, if Katy Perry was, you know, sort of on her way out the door. Seems like the early reception of this song um, has been pretty strong i mean i think a lot of people really liking it it's sort of a return to more of the mid 2010 sound that really made Katy perry one of the biggest names in pop music and certainly one of the biggest forces on pop radio so it seems like you know the witness era and, and kind of the misstep there did not really do any long-term damage to Katy's career press 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 Cardi don't need more press all right, to give a mention to two other songs that hit the Hot 100 this week after we had kind of what was the first big release week of the season, the Friday before last. Uh, we talked to Katy Perry at number 15. Right behind her at number 16 is Cardi B with the song Press. Third song that's been a standalone single since her album came out. Waiting on that next album. We had Money last year. We had Please Me this year with Bruno Mars. Now we got Press. Cardi, what is the project coming? But in the meantime, at least keeps her top 20 streak alive on the Hot 100 with this new track. Yeah, we had uh, John McMahon from Atlantic on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He, he couldn't get out of him. Couldn't couldn't find out that, that release date. No, I mean, he had a little smile on his face. I know, obviously, the listeners couldn't see that. But, it, you know, it, it you know they kind of like to give a little, little nonverbal hints that something may or may not be on the way. Speaking of Cardi, somebody who recently, you know, there was a social, a social media kind of row about the line in a Miley Cyrus song about that she loves Nicki, but she listens to Cardi. So Miley Cyrus also getting in on that uh, release Friday back on the Hot 100 with the song Mother's Daughter. It's actually not the track with the Nicki Cardi line. That's Catitude, but Mother's Daughter, uh, the one from her new EP, She Is Coming, which is the first of three EPs that are going to make a full album. So we got... um. 
some more Miley music certainly coming along the way. But Mother's Daughter starts this week at number 54 on the Hot 100. So uh, Dad out there at number one. Miley's kicking her kicking her campaign off to uh, maybe, I mean, the way Old Town Road's holding on, maybe you know, Miley can jump up the chart and finally be the one to knock out her dad. Yeah. Uh, did you see the Black Mirror episode with Miley? No, I heard I heard it's, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I just saw it. I thought it was uh, a typical Black Mirror. It was really good and, and sort of terrifying at the same time. But but for that show, actually, more more on the funny side. It kind of mirrors like like what her real life, you know, yeah. could or is or could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I won't give any spoilers, but hopefully not not too on the money. Although, uh, well, it's it's it is a little more lighthearted than than most uh, Black Mirror episodes. But yeah, Miley, uh, really good uh, in that episode. Walk me home in the day. All right, a few things on some other uh, Billboard charts uh, this week before we get to Howard Jones, our special guest. Uh, Pink, number one on adult pop songs. It's her 10th number one on that airplay chart. Most among soloists, only uh, Maroon 5 has more with uh, 13. So 10 number ones for Pink, uh, all since 2007 with Walk Me Home. Uh, I was listening to that song and I, I thought it does something really interesting and it reminded me of another song. So you just heard a part of the song. Here's this uh, part of the song, what it does later. I can't be alone with all that's on my mind Say you'll stay with me tonight Cause there's so much wrong going on Walk me home in the dead of night So does this breakdown here Pink sings the chorus, the hook, the same way But it's this really quieter, more intimate version kind of goes acoustic for a second and a different register to her voice and, and then it picks back up again uh, really reminded me of what Marin Morris does in this song why don't you just meet me in the middle I'm losing my mind just a little so why don't you just meet me in the middle so same thing with the middle. ah the little the little breathy middle yeah yeah so it just it's going at 100 miles an hour and then it just sort of uh, slows down and it's sort of a new way uh, to write a bridge, I guess. Or maybe I, I'm trying to think of other examples, but uh, just it kind of is enough to j- – we could talk to our friends at Hit Songs Deconstructed about this. It's just uh, something that adds a little variety while uh, still keeping the, the main elements of the song. But it's just enough to kind of step out for a second and you pick it back up. Songwriting tip I, I just uh, picked up on my own. I was gonna say, I wonder, you know, Self-teach. I wonder, I wonder how the songwriters, maybe the producers like it. I wonder how the songwriters feel if you know it's, if you know, that's uh, not a, you know, the ones who are bridge purists. I wonder, I wonder what their take on that would be. <laughs> On the Billboard 200, Thomas Rhett is number one, his second number one album, Center Point Road. Uh, Light Changers hit number one in 2017. Also, uh, Elton John gets his 20th top 10 with his uh, 2017 best of set Diamonds. So, as the Rocketman movie is doing really well, uh, people are going to the soundtrack for uh, the new versions with Taron Egerton, but they want to hear the originals. That's a place where so many of his hits are in one place. So Diamonds, uh, Elton John gets his 20th top 10 on the Billboard 200. And uh, a new song from the Rocketman soundtrack is uh, Elton and Taron Egerton together. I'm going to Love Me Again debuts number 30 on the AC chart. It's Elton John's 73rd adult contemporary chart hit. It's the most of all artists. So that record... Uh, Seems pretty safe for a while, and he keeps adding to it. Yeah, because I wonder if I mean if Elton saw those big returns that Queen has gotten from Bohemian Rhapsody. The movie came out uh, November second, so just about over six, seven months ago. But I mean, just what it did to Queen's catalog just helped really reignite it in a way that it just kept giving and giving, and obviously. You know, extra buzz from winning the Academy Award and all those kind of things. But, I mean, you wonder if Rocket Man, you know, will kind of do the same thing for Elton's catalog and just, just obviously Elton's not hurting for money or anything like that. But just to keep it, you know, I mean, really give it this huge boost, keep it in the top, you know, 25 of the Billboard 200 week after week. I mean, this could ride out for the rest of the year. It seems like 
uh, the reviews, you know, are, are pretty favorable and people seem to be enjoying it. So did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? I did not. Here's something I, I sort of surprised hasn't been mentioned. Uh, I was Googling this as we were talking about the movie. Queen bass player John Deacon in the movie is played by Joseph Mazzello. Do you know who that is? He was Tim in Jurassic Park. Well, we're back in the car again. Oh, at least you're out of the tree. Oh, okay. I mean, I need to just wow. see the movie now just to see what Tim <laughs> wow, all grown up. Tim. He survived Jurassic Park. Went on to be in the Queen movie. All right. One other uh, angle to mention on the charts this week. Uh, last week on the podcast, we had John Miller and Scott Musgrave from Nielsen on. We're talking uh, country music and got into a pretty deep uh, discussion about the lack of women on country radio. Uh, but a difference one week makes. Uh, Trisha Yearwood, you just heard, she debuts number 21 with Every Girl in This Town. That's her highest debut ever on the chart. Uh, she previously had a high debut with uh, Garth Brooks in 2006, but this, of all her 50 songs ever on the chart, this is her highest debuting. So uh, Trisha at number 21, at number 33 on Country Airplay. Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, and Mary Morris. They debut with Prove You Wrong. Uh, kind of a 70s uh, country rock vibe to that song, but uh, Cheryl Crow's highest debut ever as well on the chart. And uh, Stevie Nicks, she actually had one song on a Billboard country chart back in 1982. Uh, it was a pop hit as well after the glitter fades. Uh, so now, uh, all these years later, Stevie Nicks back on Billboard's country charts. Well, really cool that it's also you know, three generations of, yeah. of these artists coming together. So um, a nice sort of, you know, I mean, every sort of fan can find their own entry point and really appreciate the other two. Mm, yeah. So those two songs are new on the chart. One other uh, in the top 20 this week. Runaway June, they move up well, with Buy My Own Drinks. And that's the first top 20 hit by an all-female group, uh, not duo, because uh, Maddie and Tay have been in uh, top 20. They've been number one a few years ago. But uh, first top 20 hit for a female group of at least three members. Since 2005, since Shadeezy had a hit in uh, 2005. So only 14 years between uh, all female groups getting a top 20 hit on the country chart. So uh, for Wait, like Pistol Annie's didn't do it or anything? No. Like, wow. Yeah. Okay, huh. So uh, for all we've been talking about, uh, women, uh, lack of women on the country charts, there's there's some uh, good- uh, Some signs some, of life some out signs there. Of, sort of interesting that uh, Trisha Yearwood- Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, artists who have been around for, for, for a while at this point. Maybe it doesn't solve the where are the brand new artists, but uh, I guess any step forward is positive at this point. All right. So uh, that's uh, this week's uh, Big Chart Moves. Uh, really excited to have our guest on the podcast this week. I've been a fan, again, of his music since uh, the late 80s. Nine top 40 hits on the Hot 100, including the top 10s, Things Can Only Get Better, 1985, No One Is to Blame, which was co-produced by Phil Collins you know, back in 1986. Five albums on the Billboard 200, including the top 10, Dream Into Action, in 1985. He's continued to chart in recent years, had some hits on the dance charts, which uh, really uh, makes sense for his uh, synth sound uh, that he was always known for in the 80s. So a uh, new album just came out, Transform. He's touring as well. Really excited to have Howard Jones on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Trevor, you were actually, uh, I think, en route from uh, stuck in a, you know, in a in an airport somewhere when this interview happened. So it's just me uh, doing this one. Uh, but I had plenty of questions for Howard Jones. So I'm uh, really excited to uh, have him on. And you know, we're sort of joking uh, before we uh, interviewed. We're setting up levels. We're saying what what uh, level you're going to be speaking at. And he he just uh, just said some words. And then he said, uh, unless I start yelling or screaming. So I was really worried the whole rest of the interview if Howard Jones was going to scream at me. I'll end the suspense. It didn't happen. He was very nice. Aww. We wanted a scream. So Howard Jones coming up as our very special guest on the Billboard Chaffee Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all 
wrong. What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. One of my favorite artists, really of all time, Howard Jones. Welcome to the Billboard Charity well, Podcast. Well, thank you so much. And I'm uh, very uh, honored to be here. Thank you. you uh, you're a legend on Billboard Charts. So mm-hmm. I really want to talk about uh, your whole career, some of your biggest hits, the new album, Transform. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess since we're uh, saying this is, we we're just saying beforehand, this is uh, the first time you've ever been up. You've ever been allowed? Uh, yes. Said, at, at Billboard. Have yeah. you uh, followed your songs over the years on the charts? Um. I, I must admit, um, in, in, in the early days, you know, um, I, I did, I used to do that. And, um, but of course I couldn't really avoid it because people are always telling me, you know, like record company people telling you what, you know, where the record is. And it was very exciting. And I think it did mean a lot, um, you know, and in those early days of my career. In 2013, you still had a top 10 with a new version of uh, things can only get better. So we're talking oh, yeah. decades on oh, the yeah. charts. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, um, yeah, the version I did with Cedric Gervais. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was great. Actually, I think he did a a great job on that. Um, uh, and and we we actually took that on board to play that live. So we um we we did after the you know traditional version of things can only get better. We went went into the EDM Cedric and people used to go crazy for it. So. Yeah, it was work, worked really well. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was playing on the car. I think maybe two days ago when mm-hmm. I uh, got out of the car to, to get on the train coming in here it's on mm-hmm. the uh, uh, AC station up in Hudson Valley, oh, New really? York. It's like there's, wow. there's Howard Jones. Should, that's the thing about you know you put record out and you just never know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. It's like <laughs> obviously it's a, it's a huge thrill um, that um, that uh, you know I'm still being played on the radio. It's really great. Um, I'm always very interested to hear how it sounds on the radio compared to the other records around it uh, to make sure that it's like, you know, punching through and, you know, makes its mark. You, you can't just listen and enjoy yeah. it. You have to uh, put your no, producers. Uh, yeah, exactly. I just can't, just can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to analyze everything. Yeah. <laughs> and with being on adult radio specifically, you're, uh, you're up against you know, decades of music. So mm. uh, to be on, yeah. on, on that format with newer songs, it has to be as good as, as mm. everything from the Beatles to Adele. Mm. That's, that's uh, certainly a sign that yeah. your catalog stands up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, um, um, sort of makes me feel really good actually that um because I, I i suppose what you know when i started out the radio was what i was aiming for a, a lot of bands around my era it was like they didn't they didn't really want to be on the radio because they sort of felt it was uncool but for me it was like that's the holy grail is to be on the radio because that's what I grew up with. And, you know, if you're on the radio, you can be heard in people's cars and when they're doing the washing up and, you know, like, you know, what they're doing, you know, in the garden. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's sort of a universal thing. Um, so that was always my thing. I want, I wanted to be on the radio. So fortunately, radio did like it and, um, and they still keep playing it, which is great. You said, that you you never uh, you never got great reviews or at least maybe no. the reviews you wanted, but you were okay with that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I I I, I never um, no, that's right. I was never sort of a darling of the press ever. You know, I mean, normally people have like one short honeymoon period where yeah. they're, uh, but not for me. But you know, when I look back on that now, um, I actually feel grateful about that because it sort of gave me it stiffened my spine in a way and made me more more determined than ever to you know really pursue what I really wanted to do and and so I I, I mean in height at the time I didn't quite feel like that it was it was hurtful um but um as time has gone by I can see that actually was really good for me because I'm still here now fighting <laughs> and you know making new music um that I really care about yeah, yeah. 
part of the reason I like your music so much is you you write such great melodies. It's uh, based mm-hmm. on on just great pop hooks, and mm-hmm. to me, that's what makes a great pop song. That mm-hmm. not everyone can can write that way. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like critics sometimes think it's uh, they like something that's uh, more yeah, more dark. esoteric. <laughs> yeah, just kind of eccentric. The pop hooks don't always get the critical uh, love for for whatever reason. No, I no, I mean, you know, it it, it takes um, a few decades or so. Before it's appreciated, I mean, yeah. I mean I, I, it's an interesting thing because it's almost like it's not just the sort of pop hooks of um, it, it was the optimism of my music. I think that really got on critics' nerves. You know, they didn't they didn't like that. I mean, um, rather be celebrating sort of something that was um, darker and and more and more depressed, which. I sort of understand in a way in, in, in the sense that, you know, people who are constantly living their lives, being told what to do in their job and stuff like that, they, they, there's few chances to rebel. And when you rebel, you, you want to rebel in the sort of like dark way. Um, it's a shame that people can't rebel in a positive way. You know, like, like I've always thought that, but you know, anyway, Hey, that's the way the world is. So we have to, work with that so positive rebel yeah Howard Johnson yeah 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 I mean it didn't didn't put me off I mean it didn't didn't stop sticking to what I believed was the right thing to do you know where did that uh, optimism you know it comes I believe from an understanding of cynicism within myself I see it very clearly and you know that negative force that tries to stop you doing what you should, what you'd really like to do in life, or you know taking away your confidence, all that stuff. And I I feel like I understand that very well. And so with with the music, I I, I write so I'm going to write music that helps to be an antidote to that. So when the difficult things occur in life, like like it does to every single person. You know, music should be there to help you get through the next day, the next couple of days, through to the other side, and then you're off and running again, you know. And art should be that inspirational, encouraging thing. Um, and there's many ways of art doing that. But um, for me, it's about a, a positive message in the, in the music. Yes. When people think of you, they think, mm-hmm. they think of songs that make them feel yeah. good. That's a pretty good thing to put out into the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, that, that's that's my that's my role in it all, and um, I'm sticking to it. I'm just trying to get better at it, you know, trying to refine it so that, you know, I get to the point more interestingly. Yeah. Even after all these hits, all these years yeah. of writing great stuff, still mm. you still feel that drive that I, I have to outdo it myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly did with this uh, with this album, and and actually, you know, I really admire um, sort of heritage artists still putting out new work because it's not like the old days where you kind of knew that it would get you know a reception and it would get probably played on the radio or to some degree or you know it would sell but now there's no guarantee of that whatsoever so it's really you're you're doing it purely for very i don't know good reasons really good because like if you're an artist you've got to be making new work i mean otherwise what are you? It's kind of a, a museum piece, you know, yeah. musical museum, um, which I don't want to become. I want to be always like trying things new, doing new things and moving forward. Um, and the moment you lose that, and then maybe that's time to sort of reconsider and do something else. talking about this this optimism that you have and i think people tend to look at artists who came out somewhere in the, the mid 80s as the the synthesizer uh, uh, transformation was going on in music and maybe they and maybe this is where some of the uh some of the the, the critics uh, came in at that point too where it's uh, maybe the thinking is it was it was studio produced it doesn't have a, a soul to mm. it it doesn't have a heart but uh, i've always felt that your music does have such a humanity mm. such an optimism to it that maybe people hear some of the production but uh, to me you're mm. you're a singer songwriter who could have been successful really in any era of the rock era yeah. well um 
Yeah, well, th th well, thank you very much for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, I do, I, I, I kind of agree, really. I mean, I, one of my things was I want to be using the technology of my day, which is like, you know, think back to, to the times of, you know, Mozart and, and Beethoven when piano technology was developing. You know, there was the harpsichord, which you could not get any kind of, um, inflection of you know you press the key and it's one sound and then the piano comes along where you can get loud bits and soft bits so already you've got more expression and you know if you're Beethoven or Mozart what are you going to do stick with the harpsichord no way <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna want to use the new exciting technology of the day and and in a sense you could say that technology has driven music forward constantly through through time. I mean, there was the acoustic guitar, then there was the electric guitar. That's a development in technology. And so really, it's a bit short-sighted to sort of go, oh, you know, the only way to do it is the way we've all always done it. No, 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 no. Surely, um, as a, as a, a, you know, for the whole of society, that's not a good thing. Um, take the good stuff from the past, obviously, and learn from that, yeah. but, but be, be moving forward human beings love doing that it's n natural for us to do that yeah how exciting was uh, that time in the early uh, mid 80s when hey, coming off uh, you know the 70s it was a lot of acoustic singer songwriters there was a lot of rock there was disco mm. and then yeah. the 80s just the synth uh, the new wave mm. era took yeah. over um well i think i i think it was a, a really fun time really because you know not only that you had video as well so suddenly you could express yourself right visually as well so we had that and um and I think you know, fashion played it played a part of it. I think there was a desire to have a break from what had gone on in in the seventies, and um, you know, um, embrace the new, the, you know, the the new technology. But of course, I, I, I you know, I want. I mean, I don't hear it said very often that if you're starting your career in the in in the in the eighties, the early eighties, your influences would have been from the decade before, right. So, so it's not like suddenly it comes from nowhere. It's like nobody does that. Nobody arrives from another planet with a new sound. Um, it is, but, and there's a, there's, but there's a line of interesting bands, you know, I think, you know, um, Roxy music were very important. Bowie, obviously very important. And then bands like Japan, um, you know, certainly for the, and then craft work, you know, coming from Europe, um, led to the, to the synth side of what the 80s was. And as you said, there's many other facets to it. But the electronic music side, you could sort of see a, see a line come from, from the 70s. Was it uh, for you, though, still at its root about, I, I still have to have a, a well-crafted song underneath all this? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think at that time, um, um, certainly it was really important. And that's what I loved to do it was my th real absolute joy to write songs that had verses choruses middle eights hook sections you know um intros outros um i mean i just love working with with the pop song form form which is a beautiful form but then to give it some extra twists and and changes that were in unique to you i remember remember um, speaking with Phil Collins and he said to me, um, what I really like about your songs is that you don't necessarily do the expected thing. There's always a little surprise in there. You know, yeah. you go to something, to a place where, and so I was really, I was dead chuffed when he said that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you said uh, Paul McCartney is a singer, you, a singer and songwriter you think you're similar to and not, necessarily comparing yourself to him, no. but in terms of uh, pop hooks and, and optimism, yeah. I suppose, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel, uh, I've always felt that, um, yeah, I mean, his, his his melodic sense and and the, um, the the influences in his music in a bit of classical, a bit of, um, of jazz, a bit of rock and roll, and all those things, that, you know, part of my DNA as well. And, and um, I mean... It's just crazy to compare yourself to somebody else, but I mean, I, 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 I mean, we're all human, aren't we? And, um, you know, it, it, it's 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 not good to put people on us on on um, on a pedestal, and it's not good 
to look down on people. So really at the end of the day, we are, you know, we're all human beings doing our thing. Um, I really, I just, I always felt, I mean, people have said to me as well, you know, that, that they thought I sounded like him sometimes with, in some of my vocal things, but I mean, I, I never got that, but people have said that, but, um, you know, just such an amazing person who uh, understands what hook, hooky melodies are and that, that beautiful progressions that just make you feel amazing, you know, just musically, you know, take away the lyrics and, and, um, still the music is just exquisite. Yeah. It, you, you've toured with Ringo Starr. So yeah. You've yeah. got your own Beatles connection. Yeah, that's right. There. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, toured with Ringo and he invited me to be part of the all stars for a summer. And that was brilliant. I wouldn't be in anyone else's band, obviously, but <laughs> Ringo. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we had a great, great time. My favorite thing was actually, um, in the, in the, in the, um, sound checks you know where we where we were just jamming and just listening to his his groove um you know I've always loved his playing and always said like he is like one of the ultimately best drummers ever and i could never understand why that wasn't the consensus with everyone because he just is and um, influenced everybody who was any good and he's got a certain place where he sits on the beat that is just so Ringo. I mean, it's just fabulous to listen to. And when you hear it, you know, on the stage live and you're jamming with it, you know, it's a good thing. And from uh, Ringo to Phil Collins, you've, you've worked with some, some decent drummers. Yeah, yeah, the years. that's right. Yeah, I like good drummers. Yeah. first uh, either realize or think uh, I can write songs this is what I want to do I know you were working at a factory uh, yeah. before you, you uh, became a full-time musician but where did it even begin even before that for you um, well wh- I was in my first band when I was 14 and I wrote all the all the all the music for it I never was in a covers band I I just always wrote you know original music and and it started off you know when I was very young being very prog, uh, 20 minute pieces, very complicated, <laughs> sort of almost impossible for anybody else to play. But I managed to get a group of people around me who were prepared to learn it. Um, and then I, and, and the, uh, another guy at school wrote poetry and I just set this poetry to, you know, to music. Um, and then I thought, well, actually, a lot of my favorite music isn't these long 20 minute pieces. It's, pop songs in their beautiful jewel-like quality so I started doing that and um, you know taking it out mixing it up with the, with, with the synths and that started to work and you know, I got signed and took off from there Do you remember writing Nusa? Um, well I remember coming up with this um, idea for it uh, um, uh, you know in my front room in High Wycombe in, 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 in Green Street and I had all the, the synths set up there. It was my live rig. And I think I had a gig the next night and I just couldn't wait to play it to the, to the fans. So I thought, oh, I think they're going to really like this. And, and, I, there was, and that was the great thing. It was like I was writing it, then playing it immediately and I could get that feedback. And that's what happened. I played it and I thought I was so excited. And they went nuts the first time that they heard it. And so I think this is, this could, this has got legs. This could do something. You sort of know, you have a feeling that, um, some artists don't, work. some artists have no idea when they've written yeah. maybe their yeah. biggest hit. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I did get just such extraordinary feedback, I suppose, you know, from playing it live and that connection. I say, I say to, to people, you know, to young bands, um, you know, try and make that connection and write the song, then go and play it straight away to an audience. And you'll know, you know, whether it, and what bits need changing and what needs modifying, then come back, fix it, then go out again. It's a great, it's the best way. But you, you write 
most of your stuff uh, over the years now, the new album, mostly by yourself. And we've, we've uh, looked into this at Billboard, how a lot of songs now have five, 10, sometimes 15 uh, writers mm. on a song. Oh, yeah. uh, what's your take on writing solo versus collaborating? Um, well, I, I, <laughs> I'm from the school of thinking that an artist has a unique vision on something and that's what I think audiences really, really like. They don't want you to be like anyone else. They don't want you to fit in with any grid of genres and stuff. They want you to be who you really are fully. And I think that's the role of the artist to do that is obviously take your influences when you're young, but strive to find what's unique about you and then just hone that and then work on that. And so that doesn't really fit with 15 producers and 15 writers and so on. Then how can it be? Then it becomes like writing by committee. Right. So what is, and what's that committee dedicated to? It's dedicated to fitting in somewhere. Well, all the great artists in my view from the past have never done that. They've never wanted to and they've, they've, they've strived to do the opposite of that. And so we just have to remember that, you know, celebrate uniqueness, celebrate that odd, quirky voice, celebrate that odd way of putting songs together, celebrate that, not trying to homogenize everything, you know, that, yeah, that, that's just like terrible. <laughs> song probably said uh, that optimism uh, for you and your catalog better than it's right there in the title things can only get better mm. what are your uh, memories of writing that song and putting it out and having that uh, being embraced by the world yeah well um it was written on the road because i had no songs you know i'd done the first album nothing left all the songs had gone in there i had to write on the road so i was had a little studio on um, with me um set up in every dressing room would record bits on this little 12 track recorder, put it on cassette, play it to the band on the bus and say, Oh, what do you think of this? And they go, yeah, this sounds great. And so, um, there was a lot of energy around that time because the tour lasted 18 months. We were just like endlessly touring. Um, and when I got back, you know, I had to record the album, but I had the songs because I, you know, I had worked on the road I've never been able to do it since, but I had to, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to lose this opportunity that I'd created and I'd waited for my whole life. So, um, and, you know, it's very much about, you know, being on the road, there's a lot of energy about, and you, you see what people respond to and what they want, and they want to sing along with you, um, and they want to feel that, you know, yeah, you know, even if we get it terribly wrong and we throw all throw all the good stuff we ever did away and it, we're on our knees trying to move forward at least we know that things can only get better you know and and have we can still have a hopeful view of the future and that will drive us forward you know and i i'm i'm really proud of that song because it, it 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 i sing it to myself still on that song is is that a song that people often say that's my favorite Howard Jones song yeah yes it is um it's an interesting song because it's open to many interpretations I mean one one of the main ones is it's about you know fidelity uh, and about that you know if you commit to somebody you can't be messing about with other people because there will be a price to pay it's not that it's wrong or anything. It's just that there will be a price to pay. And that's what the song is saying. Um, but then the broader uh, aspect of it for me is like, is nobody going to take responsibility for anything? You know, who, you know, n no one is to blame. Like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> um, surely the buck stops with, you know, with us. We have to 
take responsibility for what's going on and um, claim it, you know. Um, so that's an important thing. It's also about frustration, about wanting things that you can't have. And um, is it possible you can't have everything you, you, you always want? There's a, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it just throws up all these questions. The more I think about it, the more, the more inter- interpretations there are. It could um, have had a question mark. No one is to blame. Yeah, 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 exactly. I first, because uh, I was uh, 15, 1989, really getting into music around uh, 88, 89. So uh, I think the first song that really introduced me to your music was Everlasting Love. And I remember uh, just hearing that intro and thinking that that kind of sounds, that keyboard intro yeah. sounds a little little different from other stuff that's out at the time. And I always loved the, the verses to that song, and obviously yeah. the chorus, but uh, 30 years, it was actually 30 years ago this week, it hit number one on Billboard's mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. adult contemporary chart. But uh, what a classic. So many years later, still. Oh, oh great. Well, um, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was quite a difficult song to to record. I mean, it's a very simple. Um, you know, it's really basically three or four chords, the whole thing. And of course, those that sounds very simple, but is they're the hardest to write. I mean, you know, we were talking about McCartney before. You know, he can do work miracles with just two or three chords, um, and that's a gift to be able to do that. Right. Um, but when we so I tried to record it with um, one producer and it just didn't work. It just didn't sound right. And I didn't connect with, with him. And then I'd always wanted to work with Chris Hughes because he'd um, done all the Tears for Fear stuff, which I just loved so much of the production. And Ian Stanley, who was in Tears for Fear as the keyboard player, and Ross Cullum, who worked, they worked. So I got this team. I got like the A team working with me on two tracks Everlasting Love and um, The Prisoner. And they, oh, it's like, it was an education for me because they were so meticulous about everything. It just took forever to do just one sound. They would be, oh, no, this can be a bit better. This can be a bit, bit better. Like yeah. all the guitars on it, the singing, I had to sing for days, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was really worth it. And it was like, for me, it was learning about, that forensic way of making records where you you just every detail has to be perfect and then Rupert and Steve who I'd worked with were not that it was more about capturing the vibe of the moment and I've ended up somewhere in the middle you know that's how I make records now somewhere catch capture the vibe but also be meticulous at the same time right <laughs> um so um so it was just great and I'm so um interestingly enough they weren't around for the mix, so we did the mix at my studio because they were going on to work with Paul McCartney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they weren't going to give that up. Were they? You could forgive them <laughs> for that, just for a measly hojo <laughs> mix. Uh, yeah, there is sort of. Is it just me or sort of a reggae feel to that yeah, song? A yeah, bit? yeah. That was yeah. always a little different. Yes, it's sort of a. It's sort of. Yeah, it is, but it's not like completely reggae. Is it? It's sort of. You, we we tried it more reggae and it just didn't work. So it's sort of like pop reggae, isn't it? I don't yeah. know. I don't know what you. Yeah. So new album, transform. Uh, did it just just feel like it was time for a new album? You're, really, yeah. for you, it's you're always creating. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I was asked to do the two tracks for the Eddie the Eagle film, so that got me started because it takes place in the eighties. The film, so it had to have that feel, uh, but be a contemporary song. So. Two songs came out of that very quickly, so I thought, hmm, maybe they could be the basis of an album, and continue with that thinking. And then, in that, in the meantime, I met BT, and we, you know, met up and said, look, we really must make some tracks together, and not just talk about it, but actually do it, see it through, and finish it. And so, so those three were going on at the same time as I was working on. Um, other stuff for the album and working with Robbie Bronneman and so yeah um, gradually came together and um, yeah it sort of 
it was really fun doing it. I mean, it's always hard getting work past the line, you know, finishing it and being like completely satisfied with it. That's always the hard bit. But we got there in the end. You know, it takes me a while, but I got there. Sort of a spiritual connection to something like things can only get better. Mm. Uh, beating Mr. Neg, yeah. you're still you're still uh, preaching that positivity. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, um, you know, I think you know, finding different ways to say those things, and I think a lot of people have, have re- re- related that that song to you know mental illness and um, depression. I mean, but it's you know at the end of the day, it is they are all connected to that that voice you know that's telling you wants to rob you of all your confidence and, you know, and tells you you can't do this and you can't do that. And I believe that everyone has that. And so the the more that it's put out there that this is a common thing, the better people are going to feel and know that, well, we all do this, so how do we get around it? You know, we've got to sort of, on a daily basis, we have to win against Mr. Neg or Miss Neg. Get as political as you want, yeah. but with uh, <laughs> discourse in the world nowadays, do you feel that that type of thinking is uh, both uh, more needed than ever, and, yeah, and maybe people have kind of forgotten that on on some level? No, I, I I'm I'm one of those people who who thinks um, there's more awareness of those things than ever, and especially when I speak with young people, they're much more open um, about how they, you know, the inner workings of um, their head I think and I find, feel very encouraged by that and they sort of understand more and they're more willing to talk about it. I mean talking about it is half the thing isn't it um, so yeah so I do think I'm hopeful things are moving um, in the right direction and it just needs everyone to get on board you know and uh, you know realise that you know we have to work together to solve the problems that we have and we and we need to do it now. Great, a new song on the album, Hero in Your Eyes. That's what I was saying before, just new songs on the album that totally fit in with some of your best work over the years. Mm. Great melody, mm. uh, really sweet lyrics yeah uh, yeah I mean Hero um, is, is the most sort of 80s-ish reference I think um, and yeah no I'm really I mean what's interesting about that song when I play it on the piano it works absolutely beautifully so you know it was, wasn't written at the piano um, but when you try, take it back to its basic song it just it, all the bits work it, it just really works beautifully um, so yeah I hope um, I hope people, you know, enjoy that one. And uh, song Mother on the yeah. album. Yeah, well, you know, obviously wrote that um, for my mother. She's passed now for four years ago. And um, I needed time to assess that before I, I did. I knew I was going to write a song because it was important. So when I came to write it, I was thinking, I'm not just writing it about my mum. I'm, I'm writing it on behalf of everyone who might hear this and how they feel about their mum, their mother. And so it was, it felt like a big moment. Um, And I I wanted it to be, I wanted the lyrics to be as direct as possible. No obscurity at all. I was like, these, like right to the raw core feelings that you have, you know, and I wanted to, to express that. And um, it was very painful to write because I was having all these memories of my of my my mother and how wonderful she was, and she's not here now, you know. And um, so it was like, oh, blimey, it was trauma, really. Um, but when it was done, I just felt, oh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from this because it's what they may want to say maybe they haven't had the time that I have as a songwriter to sit down and articulate it and express it 
but that's my job you know is that that's what artists are supposed to do so um i felt very you know when it was finally done i thought i just can't play it live though i mean honestly it's yeah. just too it's too it's too raw um i don't think i'll ever be able to do it so I, i won't be able to get past the first line you know for people as well who may not have had the, the perfect relationship with their mother it still applies you know um you can still feel that um even though it may have been a difficult relationship you can still feel um that i wanted that song to relate regardless you know yeah oh, the heck with those critics you've been uh, doing this this positive music for for a long time yeah. now it's been working people love it yeah it's uh, we we need yeah. more howard jones type of <laughs> of thinking in pop music well you know i, I mean that's certainly I'm happy with that role, you know, and uh, that's what I set out to do and I'm still still doing it and um and learning in the process. Howard Jones, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Charity podcast. Well, well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.